Everybody, welcome to Star Trek The Next Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum in Hollywood, California. They're our only sponsor, and that's why I can't believe it. Or not? <laughs> I'm very confused. Anyway, if you want to believe things or not, and you want to do so while you're in Hollywood, California, you can head over to the Ripley's Believe It or Not Auditorium. That's two D's and O in front of that. That's odd. Get it? Auditorium? Uh, that is where you will find many items that you can choose to believe or not. It's a great way to spend an afternoon if you're in the Hollywood area vacationing or maybe you live in L.A. And you're like, well, you know what? I'm only going if I can get two people in after 5 p.m. for $20. Well, there's a way to do that, everybody. All you have to do is head over there and mention Star Trek TNC. That's the next conversation. And you get buy one, get one free. That's $20 for two people after 5 p.m. Do it. Here's the show. Podcast, The Final Frontier. These are the conversations of the friendship Matt Myra and Andrew Secunda. Their continuing mission. To seek out old adventures with contrived civilizations. To boldly watch episodes that one of them has watched before. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Star Trek The Next Conversation. We're back. We're better than ever. Andy, you've returned from an arduous journey through the mountains. That's right. I was in Patagonia hiking far more than I imagined my legs were capable of. I can't believe you did it. No, me Uh, neither. I think you should maybe next time think about uh, riding some sort of donkey. We did ride horses. Well, donkeys, though, they go up the mountains. That is true. So I, I think, think actually there was a horse path up the uh, the mountain too. That we, but I that both me and Steve Bazelon, who accompanied us, uh, sort of thought to ourselves, why aren't we just riding the horses up the mountain? Well, you figure that thing out later. That's the problem. Yes. Next time you go back to Patagonia, though, you're yes. going to know exactly what to do. Do you ever see yourself going back? I do. It's, Whoa! It was I so beautiful. Oh. I mean, I don't know if I would go and see exactly the same things. Well, listen, but you uh, cannot beat nature's beauty it was just bafflingly beauty bafflingly beautiful beautiful it was it was it left me um incoherent in my description of it (laughs) uh you had a great instagram feed uh during that trip uh anyone who's not following andy on uh instagram you're missing out on some stories (laughs) that's right it's at andrew secunda until i buy secunda from someone well uh, what's one or the other i mean i guess i would like I wouldn't want Myra. No. I'd be happy with Matt Myra. Well, Matt Myra is very short. That's Andrew Secund is a little it's bit very, too long. It is long. It is long in the teeth, uh, like a like a like a civilization that you're just observing through a duck blind. <laughs> that was <laughs> nice, a terrible nice segue. No, terrible it was great. Segue. So on that note, Matt, would you advise that they watch this episode? Who watches oh, the Watchers? Come on, this is just some tour de force acting by Captain Jean Luc Picard. He loves it, and the Prime Directive. He's he's on board. Do 100%. I? We, I never rewatched this episode, but 
I do appreciate its uh, quality. Um, very good. There you have it, folks. Uh, with that, we're going to take a little peek inside the Admirals Club. Go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, and join the Admirals Club. Matt, how do they get into the Admirals Club? Well, all they have to do, Andy, is leave a five-star review on iTunes. I'm sorry, that's podcasts? I don't know what iTunes is calling podcasts now. I feel oh, like is it not called iTunes the, anymore? Uh, yeah, they've separated the app and the point is uh, wherever you download your podcasts leave a five-star review you'll be welcome into the admiral's club and by wherever i mean solely through the apple situation that's the only thing to check <laughs> so uh if you're leaving five-star reviews elsewhere thank you but it's uh not something we'll ever see here's one uh newly um what would you say designated Minted, uh, elevated uh, Promoted? Uh, promoted Admiral uh, Katja Woolishin, uh, who writes us from the Netherlands. Uh, delightfully rambling. I grew up watching TNG, and so it's very funny to revis- revisit it together with Matt and Andy. Uh, it's incredibly baffling how bad the first two... Ooh, she says two to three seasons are, but uh, that's going to be some controversial statement, Katja. Um, controversial stance, rather. Uh, Matt and Andy's ramblings, uh, musings on various subjects are helping uh, get us through until the best of both worlds. Um, I th- there's a lot. I think there's a lot of gold before then, but that is this season. The end of this season is the best of both worlds. I agree. We'd also like to um, welcome Admiral Rob Garrison, um, who writes five stars. I've been a Trekkie all my life and am old enough to remember TNG premiering. And having to deal with the idea of a new track, it was so much fun. It's so much fun to see, listen to these two professional funny men go over each episode. Honestly, if you are new to Trek or TNG, you will see yourself in Andy. If you are uh, a deep cuts old school nerd, you might see yourself in Matt. Either way, you're in for a treat. Um, by the way, Rob Garrison is the founder and admin of uh, the Star Trek Next Conversation Facebook group. Um. <coughs> So, hey guys, uh, listen, my mom's in there. She's very active. <laughs> she sure is. She's He's actually posting photographs that I have never sanctioned. <laughs> <laughs> she is uh, just doing a lot of things that my wife uh, turns to me and says, eh, it's not worth it to fight it. Don't argue. <laughs> she's also announced a lot of things, I think. In the she's group. so bizarre. Yeah. She's no, like she's... her need to like feel like. Anyway, my mom's there. She will. If, she's proud listen, of her son. She'll text. Uh, she'll text me questions about the next conversation that I think are actually just her being interested. But really, what she's doing is just siphoning information to the to the group. Also, my mother. Uh, one of the first things she asks me is how Andy was doing in Patagonia. Yeah, I haven't seen my mother in months. And she's uh, very concerned about Andy's trip and how it was. She and I are uh, Facebook friends also. <laughs> we discovered, by the way, that Andy and I are not Facebook friends. No. We, and, we uh, hadn't realized that. And I also, but Mary and I are, I and I look forward to many uh, long and fruitful conversations with uh, the, uh The views and opinions of Mary Myra do not necessarily express those of this podcast <laughs> and myself. <laughs> Um, just to uh, to polish off this topic, uh, Rob is also a master sergeant and intelligence analyst in the Air National Guard, which I found awesome. Oh, wow, my dad was in the regular National Guard. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and he's deployed to Afghanistan. Thank you for your service, Rob. Thank you. Um, and uh, he wants everyone to know that all listeners are welcome, uh, and even you, Matt. Oh, that's very nice. I um, 
it's nice that he's a master sergeant. I recently got promoted to colonel, but uh, <laughs> I feel like you're just giving yourself that. Uh, no, I'm just you know I'm just talking about Call of Duty. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> um, wow, impressive! That was you really you really have been been grinding through it, haven't you? Uh, I've been playing. I've I've apparently been playing for one day and five hours. I think I'm. Uh, still like a I, I actually may be a master sergeant myself yeah <laughs> i remember that rank 30 something right 36 <laughs> that's about right <laughs> um anyway feel free to join the uh, the facebook group uh just to give you a heads up at some point when we get our act together which most likely will be never we may have a separate official facebook group um but in this one can we just can... make this one official Yes, that is something that has been proposed. There we go. But the, then you can. How you do know, you get to it? It's Facebook. I feel like they should have an option for bad mouthing us or critiquing well, us. Well, if they're going to bad mouth me when my mother's in there, then I mean that's just a she may be the else. the biggest critic of us all for well, all we know. Join my Facebook group where I criticize my mother. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash what. Andy, what is the address? I don't know. Just look up Star Trek The Next Conversation <laughs> in Facebook. I'm pretty sure it'll get you there. Uh, or you can look up Rob Garrison. I'm sure he's connected to it somehow. Um, anyway, that's... Uh, the, with that... Uh, oh, now, I, now I keep forgetting. It was our stance with the Admirals Club mm-hmm. that we close the Admirals Club before we get to the, to the United Federation of Planets... Or it's like a side door. I know we're saying it's a side door that you enter, you leave the Admirals Club and you go into the United Federation of Planets uh, President Circle Club. But uh, do we close it first? Uh, wait, I'm. What do you? You're asking me if we close the door to the Admirals, Admirals Club, Club. <laughs> before entering the United Federation of Planets President Circle. Uh, how big of a door do you think it is? I imagine it's a giant circular door so with you're the president circle. Does it sound on it. like this, or does it sound? Is it more like this? I would say the first one, definitely. How about? I want one of those big doors. Here you we know, go. Here we go. I have it ready. You're assigning here yourself responsibility. Closed behind us. Now we're in the Admirals Club. Storage, storage uh, facility. We're in the Admirals Club. Okay, we're in the... No, we're in the... No, no, no. We've entered the Admirals Club. Now we have to get through the Admirals Club. (laughs) Okay. Wait, are you going to do this at the top of every Admirals Club? I'm going to... But the doors to the President's Club are actually... They're a little more uh, 10 forward. Here we go. I see. Okay. I see. It's classier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. All right, good. Um, So we're now in the... He doesn't, he doesn't realize he's just he's just giving himself that task every time we go into the United Federation of Planets. Well, I'm Club. so bored during the beginning of the show that I need something to do. <laughs> oh, Jesus. This is the most important part of the show, man. <laughs> These are our listeners. Uh-huh. Uh, Andrew Hook sent us $17.01. Uh, since you used my clip for the President's Club, I might as well be a member. Um, <laughs> Kevin Lamb sent us $20.17. Keep up the good work, and I am uh, and I guess keep messing up, and I'll keep paying you. This is for, oops, I did it again. He sends us every time we screw up and play it. Um, and then Evan Selinski sent us $51.21. So generous, Evan. Uh, and he says, okay, since you boys haven't done anything yet about the Patreon thing, which we is true, 
We're, we're, I promise we're going to get on that. Andy was in Patagonia. I'm in Patagonia. I'm climbing things. I'm riding horses. I'm, I was in Disney World. You'd know that if you were in the Facebook group where my mother will post photographs of me that I, I did see it don't on, know exist. I did see it on, uh, on, your, on your Instagram. Did you have a good time? Uh, I we won too many days there. Oh, interesting. I think honestly, I would say that a day in the Magic Kingdom when it's crowded uh. is more exhausting than 355 floors worth of mountain climbing. <laughs> it was an argument for that. Yeah. You, but you know, you better get it up again because we got another trip planned for April to dis to Disneyland. Well, that's land. That's not world. The world is draining. Uh, fair enough. Land is well. Land can be draining too. Anyway. Um. Anyway, he says, uh, "I'm guessing you won't anytime soon." Here's another little taste to keep you going of money, um, or credits. Mm-hmm. What is it in Star Trek? I mean, oh, there is no they money. Say credits, but there is platinum no money. is the only gold thing press platinum right. or quat lose or <laughs> quat lose. There are quat lose. Uh, so dumb. Um. And BTW, pretty sure that. Raishan Uxbridge was truly real with her own thoughts and motivations despite having been recreated by Kevin. Um, this is going back to survivors. Not unlike being reconstituted by a transporter. Oh, interesting. Interesting. That is that very is interesting. interesting. I like this. Cheers, Evan in New York. And um, that's the end of the president's circle. Do you have a, a door closing sound for that? Well, here's the problem with this now. We have to go back through this door. <laughs> Walking, walking, walking. Boy. Uh, hey, oh. say hello to all the admirals. Oh, saluting to all the admirals. Oh, admiral, admiral, how are you? Admiral, admiral. 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 All right. Oh. Take care, guys. And with that, let's open up the hail bag. Ugh, those admirals are the worst. Captain, we are being hailed. All right. Um, Rebecca Niles writes to us. Hi, Matt and Andy. I'm emailing in response to Andy's guess about uh, Picard's weird turn of phrase, thee and me, in episode 49, Ensigns of Command. As an employee of the Folger Shakespeare Library in Washington, D.C., I, I work with Shakespearean texts for a living. And I can tell you that Andy is right. The phase, the freight, man, I am, the Shakespeare phrase. would really beat the crap out of me right now for my my terrible elocution. Uh, the phrase, thee and me, shows up in Macbeth for... Point two point one four zero. Is that the captain? Is that the captain's log date? <laughs> I guess that must be the uh, the. What would that be in Shakespeare? Any idea? It has Macbeth, and then in parentheses four point two point one four zero. Oh, that's I assume where to find it. I assume Richard the second. Maybe this is, that's act and um, and uh, scene, perhaps. Maybe paragraph. Three point three point one four six semicolon and five point one point seven five, and Trollius and Trollius and Cressida. You're asking the wrong person. All right, uh, not a Shakespeare nerd apparently. No. Uh, so I'm guessing the writers just like the uh, the sound. Oh, uh, sorry. However, none of these speeches have anything to do with thematically with the situation Picard and Troy are facing. So I'm guessing the writers just like the sound of it. Um, go to www dot folger digital dot org for all your shakespeare needs and please keep the pod going um then we have a couple of audio uh voicemails for us or hails if you will mm-hmm. you know the funny thing about hails that are 
why he's driven. Is that you Sorry, keep I'm them in a separate place? Yeah, I'm trying to flip through the thing to find them right here. Here we go. Warning. Self-destruct sequence has been initiated. Oh, no, Andy. Warning wrong core folder. overload in seven minutes. Wrong folder, Andy. I don't care. Let it all go away. All right. Here's one from Nick. Hey, guys. This is Nick from Massachusetts, and I've uh, been listening forever, and glad you're back. But anywho, I'm listening to the Ensigns of Command at the moment, mm-hmm. and Riker mentions something like, well, we have three transporter rooms, so it's going to take us forever to get these people up. What the hell happened to all their transporter rooms? Because remember that episode uh, where they're evacuating for some reason, and everyone's just, you know, the, the, the computer's like, oh, everybody report to transporter rooms 19, 20, 21, 22. Oh, yeah. They just make all of these transporter rooms into their gyms and fencing studios? Like, what the hell happened? Anyway, keep up the good work, guys. Thanks. Bye. Well, also, like, the other thing you're forgetting, that they're forgetting. Mm-hmm. Good point, Nick. Uh, love that accent. Um, the other thing they're forgetting. Does it make you feel at home? It does. He sounded like he was going to start um, bitch- bitching to me about Tom Brady. Like, no. it sounded like a sports radio <laughs> call-in. Yeah. Um, but uh, they're forgetting. Like, the, they have the cargo bay transporters. Also, by the way, the capacity for the ship in an emergency evacuation situation is only like 10,000. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Wait, how many people are on the ship? Uh, there's uh, 1,700 people on the ship. What? That's insane. Oh, wait. 10,000 extra people. What do you mean? 17,000? That's their capacity to, for, uh, for uh, evacuation. There are 10,000 people capacity for evacuation, and there are 1,700 people on board the ship So then at all that's times. fine. What do you mean, what's fine? No, no, they were trying to evacuate. Weren't they trying to evacuate 50,000 people? Oh, sure, on the, on the, on yeah. the planet. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, they were never going to do it. Right, sure. It was never going to happen. Right, no. It was, it was uh, foolhardy at best. Um, and then we got a, uh, a what, what do we call it? Just a hail? <laughs> yeah, we do call it a hail. Voice yeah. hail. Voice hail. Um, oh, here it is. Uh, with a, Somebody had a nice theory. Hey, Matt and Andy. This is Mike from St. Louis. Uh, Love the latest episode. Had a Andy's theory you guys totally missed. Mm. The Sheliacs are the people who left Armist behind. It's so obvious. Armist is just a blanket covered oh. in tar. Have a great day. Bye. Because we commented on how they all seemed like that Armises. Makes very, that makes a lot of sense. It does. Although they, they weren't all powerful, so I guess Armist must have evolved past them or something. Um, and then we had uh, a couple of prime correctives. Time for a retrospective. All right, the first one's from John Chataway, and he says, Hey, Andy, I have to say I'm a bit disappointed in you. As a Star Wars fan, I would hope that you could attribute one of the most famous lines in Star Wars to the correct character. Luke doesn't say, look at the size of that thing. It's Wedge. I know this because that was my high school yearbook quote, although they chose not to publish it based on its suggestive nature. Uh, I'm sure not the first to point this out. You aren't, John, nor the last. Uh, no, a lot of people commented on it. It was a huge failing on my part as a Star Wars fan. It was Wedge Antilles. 
um, when he sees the Death Star, I thought it was in the scene where they uh, they come out of uh, out of hyperspace. The, the that's no moon scene. Yeah, I thought it was the that's no moon scene. So uh, my bad. Thank you uh, for the correct correction. And then uh, Arlene Harrow writes us because uh, I had commented uh, about uh, Guinan talking about Frankenstein and saying that it was an old friend of hers, and I was like, it's a fictional character. But she says, yes, Guinan was joking about Frankenstein, but there is an actual historical Frankenstein family that actually had long rivalry with Vladimir Tepish. Guinan could have easily uh, could easily have known an actual Doctor Frankenstein, oh. which is interesting. Although I don't know that that necessarily applies now that I'm reading this, because she was clearly uh, referring to the idea that Frankenstein created a uh, a monster beyond his control. Uh, so I don't know if it really applies, but I guess it could have been a conversation she had. Anyway, uh, that was the uh, prime corrective, and uh, ladies and gentlemen. That is your hail bag. We're done with the hails, man. It's, you can wake up again. It's great to be back, everybody. <laughs> I stepped out of the room for a while while the hails were happening. You just can't take it. And now I'm here. Uh, so I guess it's time to talk about this episode. This is Who Watches the Watchers. It... Uh, occurred uh oh why am i my star trek the next generation companion novel is way ahead of itself everybody oh yeah it is on season four what is happening here oh no oh no this is season seven i quit you know what we're never doing the show again that seems reasonable okay everybody i found Season three, I'm flipping in here, and I'm getting it out of Larry Nemechek's book. Here's the problem here. I am uh, using Kindle app for uh, Mac, and they have changed the app to something that I call undesirable. This is production number 152, Who Watches the Watchers? It aired the week of October 16th, 1989. Um, here's what's happening. Uh, here's what's... Uh, what is wrong with me? I'm the worst podcaster in history. This uh, day in Trek history... Uh, here's what was happening on October 16th, 1989. Uh, I prepped it for you, Matt, because you were having your own issues. Um, uh, it was still Miss You Much by Janet Jackson. Yeah, oh, there it is. Um, still top in the U.S. airwaves, while in the U.K., Ride on Time by Black Box was still preferred. Look Who's Talking debuted at number one. At the box office, while The Writing Life by Ann Dillard was a bestseller. An earthquake measuring 6.9 on the Richter scale tore through uh, Loma Prieta in the Bay Area, killing 63 people. Wow. NASA launched the unmanned Galileo orbiter aboard the space shuttle Atlantis. Its primary mission was to survey Jupiter. And oh, its was this moons. the earthquake, the World Series earthquake? Was it? Must have been, right? It's October, it's 1989. That seems reasonable. Um, it traversed nearly 3 billion mile distance over the next six years and successfully achieved Jovian orbit on December 8th, 1995. Mm. And Time Magazine's cover was an elephant in silhouette with the caption, The Ivory Trail from Africa to Asia, a story of greed and slaughter. Well, Andy, 
I hope this uh, Janet Jackson sets the scene for you because we're talking about an episode that is uh, very. Uh, what are you going to say? It's good sci fi. Yeah? It's like great sci fi dealing with religion, dealing with uh, uh, the prime directive, dealing with the, the moral obligation of those who explore. It's uh, very interesting. Uh, and uh, this was directed by Robert Weimer. Or Weimer, uh, written by Richard Manning and Hans Beemler. Mm-hmm. A failing reactor at a hidden cultural observer's post on Mantaka 3 draws the Enterprise to that world to render assistance. Before the starship arrives, however, the reactor explodes, injuring three scientists and causing the duck blind to f- fail. Uh, an away team is sent to the planet. They successfully rescue two of the scientists, but cannot find the third, a man named Palmer. But one of the natives, Liko, is it Lyco or Lyco? I forget. I don't remember. Uh, witnesses the landing party beam up and, as a result, falls, critically injuring himself. Dr. Crusher beams him aboard to save his life, a prime directive violation that angers Picard. A memory wipe doesn't take after Lyco is returned home, and he begins telling his brethren that the old god legends they gave up ages ago were true after all, and their overseer is the Picard. Riker and Troy beam down in native disguise to find Palmer, but when the Mintakins find the missing scientist first, uh, even their leader, Narina, oh, sorry, Nuria, begins to believe Lyko's tales. Riker escapes with Palmer, but Troy is trapped and kept behind as a possible sacrifice. Lyko now desperately wants the Picard to bring his dead wife back to life. Picard risks nothing, uh, risks further contamination by bringing uh, Nuria aboard to prove he is mortal. A tactic that almost fails until she sees he cannot save the one scientist from dying. Yay! Bo's home. Bo's home. He bypassed his master to come to me. He gave him a look. I was wondering what would happen. Well, he, he sees like, me all the time. Sure. He's like, oh, I, like, Andy. Ooh, I can get my I can get my looking all in on on Andy instead. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is uh, this is the episode. Uh, Bo, go listen to your... Oh, go on the drink. He's going to get a drink. Uh, meanwhile, lightning storms prompt a hysterical Lyco into almost sacrificing Troy before Picard arrives. The native disbelieving his god's claims of mortality shoots Picard with an arrow, drawing blood. Although the Mentakans are aware that out of, of the outworlders now, Picard leaves them with the knowledge that their rational path is the one they should follow. And the duck blind... Is it this man? What's going on with oh. you, pal? It's a... Uh, Yanni, we're doing this pretty late in the day. It's almost 5 o'clock. That's really not that late in the day. <laughs> to record a podcast for me, it is. I usually do them early. Sure. Um, I like an 11 a.m.er, you know? That's a good time for a podcast. Sure. Uh, so you got, you got, you've overslept by that point. you still got energy going. Oh, my goodness. Hello, Bo. Say hi. Hi. Say hi. Okay. Okay. He is looking uh, up a storm. Okay, Andy, it's time to talk about this uh, episode. Okay. Uh, first impressions? Um, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> we're, as I said, we're in a weird area now because it's... Oh, I, I, we should probably get into this. Mm-hmm. Um, Bo, um, go to bed. Pillar. Michael Pillar? Michael Pillar, yep. And Wagner... I don't remember. Uh, but uh, let me see if I can find his name. 
What is your what is your what is your inference? The, well, I just I had read something. I'm trying not to read ahead. So, uh, but uh, Mr. Wagner <laughs> can't be Robert. Um, um, but uh, uh, he had been hired um, to run the room, which was surprising to me because I assumed Rick Berman was running the room. But I guess Rick Berman was acting in more of a a, a non producer. Yeah, writing producer capacity. Yeah. Um, so uh, he was hired to, and I was like, "Oh, this is the guy who was who who changed the entire culture of Star Trek and is unheralded." Um, and uh, let me see if I can find the name. Um, I I don't even know who you're talking about. All right, well, find it. It's Robert uh, Wagner, by the way. Uh, no, it's not Robert Wagner. Michael, it is Michael Wagner. No, it's Robert Wagner. I know it. Robert Wagner is the actor. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's a prime corrective. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, Michael Wagner is the person who was hired to run the room. Oh, my God. He died at 44. And then I guess it's Michael Pillar, too. Um, Pillar died very young also. They're both Michael Pillars? They're both Michaels? Yeah, it's Michael Piller and Michael Wagner. That's why I was confused. So uh, Michael Wagner was, was hired to run the room. Um, it didn't work out. I think he hired Michael Piller because he had read a spec of his that he liked, a spec being a script that you write without being paid for it just to get work or to have it made. And then uh, Berman and I think Roddenberry liked Michael Piller, and so they hired him to run the room. And he had like a couple of like a couple of Miami Vices and and, and a few other non sci fi credits to his name, and um, and I think also um, Mr. Wagner had worked uh, with Pillar on a show called I think Probe, which I'd be really curious to see now, um, which didn't last that long. Anyway, my point is, I think Michael Pillar is the one that changed the entire culture of Star Trek in this season. He's no, no, the no. one you're saying that it was Wagner. No, Wagner was the one. He left after like three episodes. Yeah, but it was Pillar. I told you that when season three started, that you Michael said, Pillar arrived. Well, you failed to say that Michael Wagner was the one they hired. Oh, I didn't know about him. Well, there you go. Anyway. <laughs> I did not know about him at all. I, I guess it's just interesting to me, the shift in in uh, in personnel. Also, the interesting thing. He's uncredited. That's why I didn't know about him. He had. He he's uncredited. Write, not on, he didn't have a credit on. He a couple wrote of episodes. the survivors. Right, he's the writer on that, but he's uncredited as co-executive producer. He's co-executive producer, according to uh, Memory Alpha, on the first five episodes of TNG. I wonder if Season after, three. um, after um, all the all the hubbub in the prior seasons, they you know uh, Berman and Roddenberry were like, we're not screwing around. How anymore. did you find him? It was what listed you to this? in uh, Star Trek 365. Oh. I only read that so that I don't read ahead. Uh, I just don't think it was his cup of tea as far as the way the show worked and the way Rick and everybody know the show so well that they are all relying on each other. Input even comes in from the technical guys who have almost been in space. I just don't think it was the way he'd been operating in other places regarding his tenure, Michael Wagner's brief tenure. There you go. It's uh, very interesting, Andy. A little tidbit for everybody that I didn't even uh, uncredit a guy, and then uh, he just gets lost in the annals of history. 
But I feel like even Michael Piller in the descriptions of the show, maybe no. for the hardcore people, no, you feel like he's yeah given his credit. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've it, it seems to me based on this evidence, he is purely responsible for straightening out the storytelling issues. Yeah. Any, on this show, any doc you watch about TNG, a lot of be it all the stuff on the um, Blu-rays or whatever, they uh, Piller is very. Uh, forefront. He's at the forefront. He wrote Insurrection too, which is a lot of people. A lot of people don't like that movie, but there are a lot of Star Trek fans out there, TNG fans particularly, who enjoy how much that uh, movie feels like an episode of Star Trek. Hmm. So, uh, and then he passed away. He wrote a, a book that's out of print about his time writing the movie Insurrection and that coming out, and it's like. Oh my god, that sounds like that'd be fascinating. Heard it's really uh, a great read. Oh my gosh, I want to read that. I've never seen it. I've never found it. Uh, But anyway, Michael Piller uh, passed away in two thousand five. That's too bad. It is very much so. He did, you know, he did a lot of work on Deep Space Nine too. Um, I'd like to have him on the show and sing his praises. Well, we can't because he's passed away. But well, maybe he'll hear us wherever he is. Wherever you're downloading your podcast, Michael. Wherever your brain data is saved. It's saved uh, probably just uh, it's just orbiting the Earth, caught <laughs> in the atmosphere. Possibly. Anyway. Captain's um, log. Go ahead. Stardate something. Captain's log, Stardate 43173.5. We're en route to Mintaka 3, where a three-man Federation anthropological field team has been studying the inhabitants. Our mission is to resupply the outpost and repair their malfunctioning reactor. The music here is betraying the character. Like, this shouldn't... The music shouldn't be this intense at this point. Oh, interesting. Because he's giving a captain's log of a pretty normal mission. Right. We have to go... uh, help the scientists repair their reactor right it's a it's, a it's not a mission. it's not a like we're looking for these cloaked romulans who are about to strike right it's literally like oh we're gonna go help fix the reactor over there you could say that the music is an obeying protocol the right music now. is betraying <laughs> the story i think i agree Mr. LaForge, report and then there's like this like picard patrick stewart's like playing it really important like a normal no he's playing it like a normal normal, like normal everyday conversation by the way this is so silly this scene and how uh they have like they treat Jordy like a child (laughs) and he acts like a guessing game yeah it's so weird like I get it coming from Wesley like give that line to Wesley that's a really good he's not in this episode but if you gave it to Wesley I wonder if it was so much more sense well we finished replicating the parts they'll need but what I don't understand is why a three-man station would need a reactor capable of producing 4.2 gigawatts. Enough to power a small phaser bank or a subspace relay station or... Or a hologram generator. Oh, a duck blind. Right, they're anthropologists. Mm-hmm. Who are studying an extended family of Intakans at close range from a camouflaged observation post. According to Dr. Barron's preliminary reports, the Mintakans are proto-Vulcan humanoids at the Bronze Age level. Did you find it? Uh, yeah, it's, it was Jordy. It was Jordy. Yeah. That's just weird. That felt weird to me. Uh, so they're talking about a proto-Vulcan uh, 
Which is not surprising, Race. considering how closely their evolution parallels Vulcan. Captain, incoming transmission from Mintaka 3. Thank you. So they're just shooting the shit, right? That music was terrible. Yeah, I agree. I would have been very annoyed at, uh, if this was my script and then that was the music that ended up on it. May I ask you? Yes. The, um, the, the reference to gigawatts immediately can, can draw my mind to only one thing. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, Back to the Future, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and he says four point how many four two point two one uh, gigawatts or something, um, and then somebody tweeted us. I don't know if this was a joke, but he says he says Brian Gullant tweeted us, and then Riker says this should last about eighty eight seconds. Does he say that? No. All right, then maybe it was just Large a joke. Observation post. According to Doctor Barron's. Forge, report. Well, we finished replicating the parts they'll need. But what I don't understand is why a three-man station would need a reactor capable of producing 4.2 gigawatts. Enough to power a small phaser bank or a subspace relay station or... Or a hologram generator. Oh, a duck blind. You dummy. <laughs> oh, a duck blind. You got it, Jordy. I do like the... So, they... The, uh... Relay station or the observation post. Uh, also, wouldn't everyone in the crew have already read the rundown of why they're going down there? Yeah, it's crazy. Separate. So then, this is this is Palmer falling out of the duck blind. We oh, and then I just I like the data Picard interaction here. We've lost contact, sir. Increase to warp nine. Oh. It was right before that. Lieutenant uh. on screen. Baron Enterprise. Uh, temporary repairs. That's a Field. good name. Baron the Enterprise. Now in our- Do you have battery backup? Three hours at best. Captain, if we increase to warp seven, we can be there in 23 minutes. Make it so. We're on our way. We've lost contact, sir. Increase to warp nine. I mean, that's a pretty exponential increase. They'd probably get them there much, much quicker. Maybe like five minutes. It's true. Anyway, they beam down to the stuff observation post. I've never liked the science officer, like the enlisted, non-commissioned Starfleet science officer outfits, the uniforms they wear, which are the gray ones. You'll see them, you know, dozens of times in the series. I just feel like they could have done something else with them. Uh, By the way, uh, am I wrong in thinking in this teaser that it's an unusual move? For them to see something on the screen, and you're watching it play it on the screen, and then cut down to the planet, or some other action, either on a ship or on, in this case, on another planet, where none of the crew has yet beamed down to, to see what's going on. They didn't do that. They do. In the teaser. No, they don't. They they cut to him falling out. Oh, yes, that is true. I told my, my brain didn't even process that. Um, oh, that's interesting. I don't know that I've ever seen that in Star Trek. They usually are just watching it. There's some rundown from someone on the screen about what's going on on the planet because we're always staying storytelling-wise with our people mm. on the bridge. Interesting. 
Um, and then there's also a, a reference to Pulaski. Yes, I liked that. Enterprise, B. Martinez and his patient directly to sick bay. Some good uh, electrocuted acting right there. <laughs> if anybody so, wants to come to my uh, electrocuted acting school, it's um, you know to we, North Hollywood. We you know just electrocutions and uh, being punched in the kidney. Those are the two things we focus Would on. Would you help anyone um, if they had to maybe pretend to be a Bronze Age person watching someone beam out of a planet? That's a separate uh, uh, Is that school? an additional course? Or is that actually next door? It's an annex? Yeah, it's an annex. <laughs> it's a whole separate course. Uh, I like how uh, angry Picard is here. You increased the levels of tricordrazine. No words from Andy. Well, I you know we're about to hear it, so yeah. I, Doctor Crusher. Before you start quoting me, the Prime Directive. He'd already seen us. The damage was done. It was either bring him aboard or let him die. Then why didn't you let him die? That's cold. Because we were responsible for his injuries. I'm not sure that I concur with that reasoning, Doctor. That is a fascinating but issue. If you cause the, you the injury, do you have to save the guy? Because then you've already interfered. Uh, I think Crusher's correct. Uh-huh. I think that once the uh, once the accident happened as a result of uh, him touching, like observing Data and Riker, and like I think once that happens, you have a you've you've already fucked the Prime Directive over, right? And then her instinct as a medical doctor first does no harm have to kick in she has to save the patient uh yeah i mean i think that would have been her instinct in any event but it does i don't know raises an interesting question of like okay so you screw up as is going to happen with the prime directive then is the prime directive off is it just like all right well we might as well because it keeps it keeps spinning out of control in this episode and at what point are you like all right well they just like we've already destroyed these the the flow of these people's civilization so they just keep plussing it yeah (laughs) they just keep going larger they do keep doubling down with the away team by raising short-term recall it has been accomplished before i am familiar with dr pulaski's technique but i can't guarantee it'll be effective on mintalk and brain chemistry their lysome levels are much lower wait no no we must evacuate Dr. Barron, you're on the Enterprise. You're safe. The others? Dr. Warren is here. We're doing all we can. And Palmer. Where is Palmer? He's still on Mintaka 3. Picard, you have to find him. We will. He may be hurt. Rest assured, we shall not leave until he is located. Thank you, Picard. 
Oh boy. <laughs> so they gotta find the Palmer, and then it uh, opens up this whole. I just want to point out also. Beverly, you could say, is angry in that moment because he's sort of dressing her down. Mm-hmm. Or you could say she's angry because he's like, did you study the thing that Dr. Pulaski <laughs> did while you weren't here? Oh, I think Oh, I know how to do it. I think she's very upset about Dr. Pulaski being, her techniques being even mentioned in her presence. Sure. The area around the duck blind exhibits karst topography, sinkholes, underground rivers, and caverns. And the rock strata contains a high concentration of thallium compound, which may be obstructing our sensor beams. So if Palmer, in his delirium, fled into a cave, we may be unable to detect his life signs. Correct, sir. Captain, if he is still alive, he needs medical attention. We must send an away team to locate him. But our presence must not interfere with the cultural development of the Mintakans. Agreed. Further contamination must be prevented. I have a suggestion. <laughs> the scary music. <laughs> it's just like this whole like <laughs> I, I don't know. You're just like expecting a flip joke, right? Like just this. I have a suggestion, and then we're gonna cut to something. <laughs> that, Riker, <laughs> this that, isn't helping. That one man band contraption can't help us. <laughs> oh, well. What if you facially reconstructed us to look like one of them and we went in? Okay, that'll work. See, that's what it was missing. It was missing right. the one-man band, which is his one-man band, by the way, yeah. is just a suit made of trombones. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a dozen trombones that do just make work, slightly Riker. different. You need, you need a, like a, a bass drum or something to <laughs> counterbalance it. Uh, how about the symbol hat? <laughs> How is this helping us? <laughs> How do they know, by the way, that they can just waltz in and start trading cloth? Like, do they talk to Baron and go, so what do these people do? Do they have outsiders? They what happens have, there? They must have downloaded information and st- such that uh, Baron gave them. I understand your skepticism. If it hadn't happened to me, I would find it difficult to accept as well. It's Ray Wise of Twin Peaks fame. You know the legends better than anyone. Do they not speak of beings like the kind I've seen? Who could vanish like smoke? There are the stories of the Overseer who could appear and disappear at will. And couldn't this Overseer heal the dead? They had supreme power, or so our ancestors believed. I believe I have seen the overseer he is called the picard uh-huh. <laughs> his memory's intact the procedure didn't work Lico, all this talk of supernatural beings no one has believed that for countless generations just as we no longer believe that the stars control our fates or the spirits of the dead haunt the living so here's my question if they don't if if they if the their sort of like hunting team doesn't find Palmer mm-hmm. then they probably get away with this just fine like they just think it's the ramblings of a crazy person say it again if the if they don't find Palmer yeah. like when they waltz in here with Palmer uh, in a second here we are visitors we've come to trade our cloth may we speak 
Please do. We welcome outsiders. I am Nuria. I am Troy, and this is Riker. You had a very interesting dream. Dream? It was real. My father and I both witnessed these beings. If you are father and daughter, you may well have shared the same dream. That is not reasonable. Is that any less reasonable than being magically transformed to another place by the Picard? Nuria! <laughs> I thought when she it said... It has to be Palmer, the one the Picard wished to find. Remarkable. You were speaking the truth. The Picard... See, I think if they don't find Palmer, yeah, then it just is her and daughter, father, just the crazy ones. Forever, perhaps. Yeah. That's kind of screwed up to do them. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, it's better than this situation that's happening right now. Although when Troy says, well, you may have shared the same dream, that sounds crazy to me, so I'm assuming, oh, that must be part of their culture. But then he's like, that sounds crazy. Yeah. What are you talking about? That it's makes like, no sense. It's the worst, <laughs> like, guess that there's... A, like, it's the worst, like, way to try to... Also, she's an empath. Mm-hmm. Do you think that maybe, although if, she's Vul- if, they're, if they are Vulcan ancestry... Maybe they have no... They seem very emotional. Well, I'm just wondering if, like, it's harder for her to read their mind or, like, because why wouldn't you just use your telepathic, empathic powers and, like, well, this become is, a voice in her... Become a voice in his head Well, that says, uh, you must tell no one of what you, of the Picard. Well, you're raising a, a very interesting question that maybe you have more knowledge of. Well, I know you have more knowledge of it than I do. She, it's my understanding that she can only read emotions that she can't control or get inside other people's heads, other than an agreed upon telepathic communication. Is that yeah, inaccurate? agreed upon? Like, I mean, she's you know, she has the ability to communicate with Riker, right? You know, her Imzadi. Sure, she communicates with her mother, right? But that's mostly, I assume, through. But I feel like ability. I feel like it's like. Like a Jedi mind trick. But can she do that? I, feel I like don't if know. She, I don't think she can. If she could, then there would have been so many fixes she could have gotten them out of. And then she's really been... Fixes of like... No, I'm just talking about like projecting her voice into their head. Not, just two, a not trick two-way them. communication. Just right. a one-way communication. I see. Well, yeah, but I don't think she can do that other well, than with her Amzadi. Uh, she, but can, I, she can in my but she can. I will say that she can use her... The whole point is that she can use her... Her emotional, uh, her her uh, empath- empathological <laughs> abilities mm-hmm. um, to kind of sense. Oh, they're going to buy it if I say this, or if they'd buy it if I'd say that. Like she probably could be the ultimate con artist. But what is the word? Like empath is just a made-up Star Trek thing, right? Well, it's not. I, I think it predates Star Trek. Like to have. I mean, it just ex- ex- exudes that she has empathy. Uh, not an no, an not, empath- not empathic. She's empathic. All right, let's look this up. I believe empath, at least as it's used in sci-fi, usually just means that you can sense people's emotions. Um, chiefly in science fiction, a person with the paranormal ability to apprehend the mental or emotional state of another individual. Uh, it's it's use. Uh, I love this, by the way, the use uh, of empath. Uh, in 1987 no one's using it ever <laughs> uh-huh and then star trek comes along hilarious <laughs> it's it it must have 
that's what Jean Grey was, wasn't she? Or is she just a full-on telepath? Isn't so, Jean Grey a telepath? She's also telekinetic, but I don't know. Oh, boy, guys. But we have a lot of questions. Charles and I'm sure Xavier. Next week we're going to get a lot of prime correctives. Um, here's uh, two notes. One note is uh, Ray Wise, even with all the makeup, I'm like, that's Ray Wise from Twin Peaks. Um, Mr. Palmer from Twin Peaks, ironically yelling out, it's Palmer. Oh, whoa. Um, and uh, and his daughter, OG, uh, is played by Pamela Segal, Siegel, S-E-G-A-L-L. And um, and I, uh, I was like, I know who she is. And then I realized that's Pamela Adlon. The daughter is Pamela Adlon. What? Who does the voice of Bobby on King of the Hill and is, was on Lucky Louie and is now on... Uh, and was on uh, Louis and on, that was on the FX. creator and star of Better Things. Correct. That's Pamela Adlon. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. How old is Pamela Adlon? This is 1990. This is 89. She's 51 now, so she was born in 66. That's crazy. Not so, huh? Um, Andy, you're surprising everyone here with your knowledge you're bringing today. You're really doing a great job researching. Thank you. This Palmer is the servant of the overseer. What was he doing in the cave? Perhaps he ran away. Or he failed oh, to somehow now. and was hiding from him. Yeah. We should bind him in case he wakes and tries to escape. It's senseless for this stranger to be held captive. All this talk of the overseer. It's old superstitions. I disagree. All the evidence indicates that the overseer exists. And I heard the Picard say he wanted to find Palmer. We believe all of this. Yes. Then by keeping Palmer safe, we will please the Picard. And he will grant us favors in return. That seems Favor. like a leap in that logic. That is a big leap, right? That's a huge <laughs> logic leap for uh, theoretically logical winters, people. Plentiful hunting, fertile crops, anything. He could even bring back those who have died. Now, it's not a leap, though, if their former ancestors, if their ancestors believed that the overseer did those things. I guess that's true. Then it's not a leap. And but it is a crazy leap to just make. <laughs> it is true. Uh, okay. Let's see here. What's the next interesting moment? I want to go back on board the ship. Okay. Uh, I will say um, I got confused um, and I asked Matt, wait, which episode are we doing today? Because I got confused with Ensign's of Command because the structure of the episode is kind of similar in going down and trying to convince a primitive race of something. Um, yeah, but the Ensigns of Command people weren't primitive. But that's what's weird. They felt very similar to me, to uh, to these people, even though they were post-prime directive and these people are pre-prime directive people. Feels like the whole episode is... Directive. Those people were Federation colonists. They were just... I know, but they seem weirded out by an android and they're... And, they, and there's this whole... Uh, they're trying to convince them that there's a danger, even though they should just be listening to the Federation people who are scanning their planet... It seems like they're acting like a very primitive people in that episode. Well, it sounds like you have a problem with Goshevin. I do have a problem Why with Goshevin. Why did you and Riker take Palmer Should have let them all die. We did not take Palmer. We set him free. Riker and I do not believe in these fables about an overseer. <laughs> Don't you realize what you've done? You've angered the Picard, and we may all suffer for it. What do you think they're doing? You think they're listening to a script supervisor? 
Because that's a long time for them to just be sitting there standing. Uh, oh, I'm sure. Listening. A script supervisor is the person who's in charge of organizing scripts and telling you what you've missed and so forth. And and uh, they will often read the lines of the people who are not there. No, I've seen him. He is all powerful. Fento. Weren't there stories about the overseer destroying those who offended him? Stories, nothing more. Liko. We'll get Palmer back. Riker was carrying him. They can't have gone far. Still, the Picard may blame us for letting Palmer escape. Perhaps we should punish her. Let the Overseer know that she and Riker acted alone. Seems very random. We will keep Troy captive. That's not enough. You would have us harm her. If it will hold off the Picard's anger. I want to see these alien goats that just made yes. that noise. <laughs> That's a really good point. Really. I've seen I think also later in the, in the episode, you see a hawk in the, in the very distance, and they clearly Ooh, put the... Alien I'm unwilling hawk. to hurt her needlessly. It looks like a regular hawk to me. I think it was just in the back of the shot. Of course it was. Yeah. What is the other explanation? Yeah, I guess they didn't have CG then. <laughs> They're going to CGI. <laughs> we got to get a hawk in this shot. In 1989. <laughs> it's also very distant. <laughs> They're going to triple the budget of the episode by saying, you know what we need to do? We can still see the strings. We need to CG this hawk <laughs> in here. Uh, well, uh, was it going to be like an alien hawk? Is it going to be pivotal to the plot? But you know what's interesting no. is they have the hawk. I'm sure they didn't hear the hawk when the guys... It's when the guy's trying to shoot them with the bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. And therefore, someone chose to add the, the sound, sound of the hawk. God. It's all coming apart at the seams here. Recommendations. The Mentargans wish to please the Overseer, but they can only guess what he wants. They need a sign. Are you suggesting... You must go down to Mentaka 3. Masquerading as a god? Absolutely out of the question. The Prime Directive... Has already been violated. The damage is done. All we can do now is minimize it. By sanctioning their false beliefs? By giving them guidelines. Letting them know what the Overseer expects of them. Dr. Barron, I cannot, I will not impose a set of commandments on these people. To do so violates the very essence of the Prime Directive. Like it or not, we have rekindled the Mentargan's belief in the Overseer. And are you saying that this belief will eventually become a religion? It's inevitable. And without guidance, that religion could degenerate into inquisitions, holy wars, chaos. Like every other religion. Horrifying. Dr. Barron... That's the, this is t- today is the day when Andy discovered sci-fi. These people are <laughs> millennia ago. They abandoned their belief in the supernatural. Now you are asking me to sabotage that achievement, to send them back into the dark ages of superstition and ignorance and fear? No! We will find some way to undo the damage we've caused. Here's what I think. I think the... Oh, uh, he was delighted to tear into that sure. dialogue. He did a good and job. And to yell no. I've never, you know, you don't, you don't really see Picard yell no very much. No. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I would have delivered that. <laughs> no. <laughs> With very heavy music behind you. And then we're like, wait, this guy, whoever did the music for this episode is crazy. You want me to throw them back into a world of darkness and ignorance and fear? No. 
<laughs> That's a choice. I don't hate it. Uh, anyway, what were you going to say? Uh, I was going to say, Dr. Barron, I don't think, is acting like someone who has really spent years studying these people and just wants to toss it all to the wind. To save Palmer. Yeah. So I don't know if this is an Andy's theory, but I believe that he's in love with Palmer. I believe that's a secret story. I think he's in love with Palmer and Warren. Wait, who are they trying to save at this point? They're trying to save Palmer. Uh-huh. Who's, which one's Warren? Warren is what seems like his wife. Oh, I see. When he gets real sad. Oh, he's in a dying. love triangle with him. What I'm thinking is they're all right. in one symbiotic relationship. They've been in that duck blind for a long time. Who knows and what's happened? I think happened. That there's just real love coming out of that duck blind. Yeah. Maybe the hologram is powered by love. Yeah. Speaking of the power of love in 1.21 gigawatts. Number one. Sorry, gigawatts. Tell me about this group's leader. Nuria. Exceptionally clear-minded, sensible. The Mintakans trust her judgment. If we could convince her that you are not a god, she might be able to persuade the others. And how do you prove... I'm going to ignore Dr. Barron and all of the research you've done observing these people for a couple of years. Riker, (laughs) you were down there for four seconds. (laughs) What what do you think? In in fairness to Picard, (laughs) Dr. Barron's acting like a lunatic. (laughs) She loves her. She believes that Picard... He's a magical figure. I love the way Patrick Stewart says figure. He always says it. Figure. 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 I'm going to show her how the magic works. <laughs> oh, you do it, buddy. I'm going to bring her aboard. This is a crazy move to me. Oh, it's insane. Counselor, but I like this data of Troy moment here. Four are motionless. The fifth is eight meters away from seating south. Is Nuria one of these five? Mm Mm-hmm. Was that intended as an affirmative? Yes, Data, it was. Is Nuria the closest of the five? Mm Mm-mm. Negative. Is Nuria the one in motion? Mm Mm-hmm. Lock sensors on Nuria. I like how this is touted as... We can beam Nuria aboard. A real high-level... Intelligence officer move. because of the music playing? Uh Uh-huh. And also... Riker's reaction. Uh, oh, and she beams. Uh, beams aboard. I am Jean-Luc Picard. <gasps> Did somebody faint? No, she's bowing. Get up. Right. Get up. You must not kneel to me. You do not wish it? I do not deserve it. Well, you're a good guy. You're smart. You are the captain. Look at me. Look at me. Are you attracted to me? Weird line of questioning from the Picard. You. <laughs> the warmth of my hand. The rhythm of my pulse. Yet we do not fall. What is what is going on? What is all that about? It's a show that he's not a he's a humanoid. It's very seductive. To whom? To the lady. I disagree. He takes her hand and says in a in a quiet voice, "Feel my pulse." He's talking to someone who thinks he's a god. He's trying to calm them down. I Andy, think you jumped this is out of that a scene. Wrong theory. This is. I'm telling you, Picard has got something going on with Nuria. <laughs> 
He is he's given her a full court press in this episode. Because he's trying to undo the damage they've done. Is that all he's trying to do, Matt? Not like me. Like you. Different in appearance, yes. But we are both living beings. We are born, we grow, we live. We have organic needs. And we die. In all the ways that matter, we are alike. All of our parts fit. There's only one way left to prove it to you. you Come to my quarters. (gasps) What a wondrous place. Even the walls obey your command. Wondrous, yes, but not miraculous. The doors merely work differently from the ones you know. By the way, here's my question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's say you're walking down the hallway of the Enterprise. Okay. Okay. And you're, uh, let's say it's a busy corridor. Mm-hmm. Why aren't all the doors opening? Why aren't they all constantly? <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting. I guess they can sense when you're facing and it's very interesting. I just thought of that. Thank you, everybody, for being here for that moment. Would be that anyway, I say Picard brought her on the ship because this is uh, he he doesn't feel confident about himself because of his lack of of uh, sexual experience has been a step well established as a theory. You're projecting, and (laughs) and he brought her on the ship because he knows that's his home court. This lady's a primitive lady. She's going to be impressed by the replicator and everything on the ship. Do you think that you're projecting and he wants to show her his giant view screen with captain's chairs? (laughs) I have some nice chairs in my home and I have a 70 inch TV because that is, in fairness, 93% of my life is sitting in front of that TV. And uh, I see nothing wrong with it. By the way, that has no effect on any girl. Of course not. (laughs) Those things. It has an effect on me. Yeah, sure. It impressed Matt. It's very impressive. It's very comfortable. It's a great place to watch, uh, you know, to play video games, I would assume. Anyway, Picard's trying to hit on Nuria. Manny's theories are very interesting because he's really smart. (laughs) Just as at one time you did not know how to weave cloth, how to make a bow, that would be reasonable. Someone invented a hut. Someone invented a bow who taught others, who taught their children, who built a stronger hut, who built a better bow, who taught their children. Now, Nuria, suppose one of your cave-dwelling ancestors were to see you as you are today. What would she think? I don't know. Well, put yourself in her place. You see, she cannot kill a hornbuck at a great distance. You can. You have a power she lacks. Only because I have a bow. She has never seen a bow. Really big swing there to. Doesn't exist in our world. Yes, they have hornbucks. <laughs> that is. You, well, I see. Simply a tool to her. It's magic. I like also. I suppose she might think so. Now, how would she react to you? I think she would fear me. Just as you fear me. I 
I do not fear you any longer. Good. That's good. You see, my people once lived in caves. And we then learned to build huts and in time to build ships like this one. I don't buy it. What do you mean? Uh, I don't think his people lived in caves. <laughs> come on, bro. <laughs> You're saying that's, caves. that's what Nuri is thinking. Come on. Uh, um, there was a line. He's not guessing. There was a line that says, we followed a hornbuck into a cave earlier on. Oh, nice. And by the way, I love the off-the-cuff kind of dumb sci-fi cultural details of the... It's just like a hornbuck, or we shall celebrate by eating a, a clove, a trask, and a, the schmogva. Just like, I don't know. It's like you see the writer sitting there and just in 10 seconds just coming up with hornbuck. I mean, that's how that's how the bread is made, everybody. Yeah, it's true. Might I request something for my people? You are indeed a leader. You've shown me such generosity. May I have your fish? I wish my people could share in it. Six Mintakins died in a flood last winter. Four of them children. Would you bring them back to life? That is not in my power. Why? You restored Liko's life. Did the six who were killed offend you in some way? Did I offend? No one says in this entire episode, by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure people will email and correct me if I am wrong. Mm -hmm. Does anyone in this episode say he was not dead, just injured? No, that is fascinating because that seems like that's the easiest explanation. It's ridiculous that they don't at any point say those words. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. Should I have ordered the death of Troy? Yes. I mean, no. uh... (laughs) Please. You must tell me do if much anything up here. I can do to change your mind. Do you think that Picard wants to know when anyone's dying on the ship, and that's why Crusher's about to do it? Or do you think he was like, earlier, before we brought Nuria up, he was like, hey, if anyone's going to die today, it'd be really convenient to show this woman. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think it was? What, situ- what was the situation? What causes Crusher to hit her communicator and... and- do this. Shabby writing. Crusher to Picard. I think we're going to lose Warren. On my way. Have Mr. O'Brien track her. (laughs) I'm here, Mary. Now, Andy, at your electrocution school, will you teach? Uh, Will you teach how to uh, die on a medical drama uh, from? very vague injuries i mean it it gets so specific is there's that different following, there's different viruses Annex? there's alien viruses there's different ways that you die from everything and i gotta say this lady is dying in a very unspecific way <laughs> and uh, we would have a field day with her good teeth work though no i like the death row Baron's lost one of the people in his love triangle. <laughs> I know. Now it's just him and Palmer. In, in a way, Crusher solved the problem. That's why he freaks out so much with Palmer. <laughs> He's the only one I've left. 
now no one will be the bottom. Palmer <laughs> was the, he was the bottom to both of them. <laughs> you do have limits. You are not masters of life and death. We're not. Oh, she was the bottom to both of them. We can cure diseases. We can repair injuries. We can even extend life. But for all our knowledge, all our advances, we're just as mortal as you are. We're just as powerless to prevent the inevitable. So what do you think? Do you think that our culture was visited by a Picard-like being at some point were there ancient aliens um you mean like going back to the egyptians and stuff like yeah. that yeah certainly stargate would suggest that well stargate suggests that indiana jones believes it now mm-hmm. there's something else i was reading or seeing recently chariots of the gods uh, no oh it's uh, hp lovecraft stuff is all about that it's more malevolent I am your servant. So Picard beams down. He's like, fuck it. I gotta go down there mm-hmm. and tell them I'm mortal. You are nobody's servant, Liko. I neither desire your obedience nor your worship. Picard speaks the truth. I have visited his people. I have seen how they live and how they die. When death takes one of their loved ones, they are as helpless as we are. Then, just like a bunch of jackasses. How was I brought back to life? Liko, you are not dead. She says it. Picard's people have a knowledge that we lack. They are able to heal wounds that we cannot. No. No, he can't bring back the dead. Show them, Picard. You can bring back my wife to me. I cannot. You can bring back... Uh, and I'm going to pick someone totally random. Um, um, uh, the mayor? My wife? <laughs> no, not the mayor. Uh, my wife. <laughs> Why? Why won't you do this for me? Have I failed you in some way? Are you angry with me? I'm not angry with well, you. Well, then I beg you, bring her back to me. They're terrible listening. I will give listening. you my life in exchange. Please, take back what you gave me. Give it to her. Let her live. It is beyond my power. Nothing is beyond your power. You are the overseer. I will prove it. You believe I'm all powerful, and you cannot hurt me. Now, Andy, I would like to send this actress over to you, okay? Because I feel like she needs a little work with her jumping in front of an arrow for someone. Her, just her eye work—it's out of control. Sure. <laughs> um, Is that something you can help with? Do you have a workshop for that? Is that during the week? Is that weeknights? Well, I think part of the problem is she looks at him and then looks back at Picard. And what you want to do is you want to look right at the arrow, which is a very specific course we have, Uh uh because that's the main danger. And then jump up, 
to the person holding the bow and arrow uh-huh. and hold it there. Now, so Andy Secunda's uh, acting school, uh, <laughs> what, what, what do we call it? Andy, S- Andy Secunda's specific acting? Christ. <laughs> Andy, Andy Secunda's acting? Andy Secunda presents acting specifics. <laughs> and you, then you have many workshops. And uh, I, I, I guess my, my question to you really is just like, um, is it different? Say I was going to jump in front of a bullet or an arrow. Oh, it's, my no, it's a whole world of difference. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. Yes. By the way, we uh, we have many electives opening up to right now for uh, standing in front of the replicator waiting for your, oh, wow. for your meal to be finished. That would be uh-huh. amazing, by the way, if you were somehow brought in to every Star Trek series to teach them how to act in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Here's how you sit down at a console. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, uh, we covered the obvious, you know, uh, uh, being uh, shaken on the bridge. <laughs> now, it's just going to be a minor phaser fire today. <laughs> if, however, I am telling the truth, and I am mortal, you will kill me. But if the only proof you will believe is my death... Then shoot. Malenko, don't do it! Father, no! By the way, the way that uh, Patrick Stewart takes an arrow. Oh, well, that's high level. He, that guy, he's, uh, he's been taking arrows. That guy could teach years. a master class himself that is taking some, an that arrow. That is stage arrow taking. Yeah. Although I have to assume that was a, that was a stuntman. <laughs> Do you think it was? I don't know. I feel like it was him. It does look like it was him, but that's a big fall he does there. I think he's probably like, listen, I've done this before. I can do it. Don't worry about me. I'm mortal. You will kill me. If we see him actually hit the floor, it's a double. But if If we don't, then it's him. You will believe is my death. I think we see him hit the floor. It's probably a double then. Then shoot. Malenko, don't do it! Father, no! Yep, double. Double. <laughs> there he is. Look at him. <laughs> well, that guy's doing some Patrick Stewart level arrow taking. Uh, that's amazing. I've never paused something so appropriately. <laughs> oh, wow. Look at him jumping up there. Yeah. That's a double. And he wow. did a real fine job, that guy. That was a great That was a great double right there. Yeah. Glad yeah good Andy editing. I got also. to the back of that. Got bottom of that. The back of it? <laughs> then we got around the side of that. By the way, this is all moot because the next time they see Picard, he's fine. <laughs> so it proves that Leco is right. Yes, he survived. <laughs> Captain's log supplemental. The overseer can be hurt by an arrow, but not killed. Skill. Mr. LaForge will supervise the dismantling of the observation post after I make one last visit to Mintaka 3. As oh. you can see, I was lying. I'm alive. I, <laughs> sir. What is that? It is a place where we can watch your people. In a vaguely creepy way. To study you. To understand your ways. Please continue, Mr. LaForge. Picard, why would a people so advanced want to learn about us? We were once as you are now. To study you mm-hmm. is to understand <laughs> ourselves. Why do you have to hide yourself from us? 
because their presence would affect us just as it affected me it is our highest law that we shall not interfere with other cultures then revealing yourselves was an accident oh yes and now we must leave you why there's so much you can teach us but that too would be interference also if anyone comes asking you know maybe an admiral or something we were never here <laughs> wink <laughs> You must progress in your own way. So we will. You have taught us there is nothing beyond our reach. Not even the stars. Pocky. Now, Andy. This thing yeah. that is given to him here will now be on the back of Captain Picard's chair yeah, for, the, really? for the rest of Star Trek. It's in his office. In his, um, not his ready room, but in his quarters. On his chair. On his chair. Like just laying there? It sits on the back of his chair now forever. Always. Look at this. That is there. That guy's in love with that girl. Oh, he's just in love with those people. Um, the Mintakins. So, oh, stuff that we forgot, uh, or I forgot. Um, Riker, when he's running away from the guy who's chasing him with the bow, mm-hmm. he's out of view of that guy several times. But he has to be sure. Uh-huh. All right. He could have just energized before, but I guess you can argue that he has to be sure. Um, and Troy, at some point, says, uh, that's the problem with believing in a supernatural being, trying to determine what he wants, which I was pretty impressed with the level of... yes statement about religion there that is a very strong stance for star trek to take roddenberry i'm guessing was anti-religion uh he believed that people would evolve past it yes evolve past it there you go mm-hmm. well andy yeah that was a really good time that we had oh one last thing Dr. Crusher has repaired my injury with her usual skill. It seems oh, it's a like, dig. It's not. It, seems like it doesn't seem dig. like a dig. It's a dig. And by the way, it's following her Pulaski being... would have totally gotten that exactly. memory. He saved everybody of trouble. He's following uh, Crusher being uh, defensive about, yeah, I know the technique. I can do it. She fails completely at erasing his memory in every way. It's not even a blip on the radar. He remembers every single thing when he goes down to the planet. <laughs> Supporting my other theories about Beverly Crusher. Oh, that Beverly Crusher. She's always, uh, well, let's just say she's not the best at doctoring. In the fastness of space, when the going gets rough, you gave it your all, you showed the right stuff, you managed to not blow the ship to smithereens. <laughs> This is an episode much later, and there is the uh, there it is. Oh yeah! Hey, that really works well there. He's got a purple <laughs> chair in his office. That's his uh, quarters chair. Interesting. Same color as the chairs in the observation lounge. Andy, come on, pay attention. Is it? I'm sorry. Uh, I apologize to everyone. All right, MVC for this. Uh, God, this is terrible. Everyone everywhere is making horrible moves it does seem that way <laughs> there's no valuable crew member here i think the least valuable crew member is crusher 
We don't. We, we should don't, do least we valuable. We don't give an member. LVC. Maybe we should. Well, then it would just be like people who weren't in the episode. You know what I mean? Like the LVC. Yeah. For well, this episode, though, I feel like I think we can get to get like, an LVC. Though you should have done something that was actively detrimental. Yeah. Uh, very specific. Uh, and so, although I gotta say, I don't know where Picard the, sits because it, well, listen, Picard bringing her up on the ship is the equivalent of Alfred in the 1989 Batman bringing, bringing Vicky, Vicky Vale, vale into the Batcave. Exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. And then he comments on it in Batman Returns. He does. Well, he's fixing a fish tank. Which I approved of. Uh, Love that. I love a callback. Yeah. So, anyway. It's also a nice retcon. The LVC, by the way. Mm -hmm. Crusher, without a doubt. The MVC of this episode. It is difficult to say. No one does their job correctly. I suppose at the end of the day, it is Picard who... Well, you know what? There's one person who does their job correctly in this episode. Troy? Riker. I was thinking about Riker. He does get the guy off the planet. He has the idea to go down there to see how bad the damage is. Although, does that cause more problems? No, or that he does not. It? They never know that Riker is part of their people. That is true. I mean, in the end, it is Picard that convinces them, but they do so much damage. And, and like the Prime Directive is just in total disarray by the end yeah. of the episode. It's very hard to say. But I think... I would give it to Riker, too. I'm going to give it to Riker. Yeah. Guys, I think none of you are agreeing with us right now. Everyone at home, probably yelling. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that you can argue that Picard uh, is the one who resolves it, but I think he does so much damage. I think it totally. counterbalances totally. the thing. So I'm going to give it to Riker as well. All right. Uh, I guess it's time for some Andes. It sure is. The Andes. Or some other method of ranking. We're working on it. We are not working on it. That's what it is. It is the Andes. Stephen Rains, if you want to come up with a different thing. No, I like it. It like still that, says that. like that sound. Okay, very good. <laughs> working on it forever. Uh, Matt. Yes, sir. I f- get the feeling that you really like this episode. I was very impressed structurally with it. Yeah. Until you started thinking that it's exactly like Instance of Command. Um, that didn't bother me. I mean, that okay. uh, the, honestly, the only thing that bothers me about that is that I feel like it's okay to have similar episodes in a, in a season. Mm-hmm. Just if you got 20, 20, was it 24 episodes or is it 22 episodes? 26, I think. 26 episodes. Then you got even more room. Then just spread them out a little bit if they're kind of have some similarities. But, yeah. um, uh, but I, I don't know. I liked, I liked the really delving into the prime directive stuff. Love the acting. With Picard, uh, with uh, Patrick Stewart, it just—I don't know—was that interesting to me? I think I didn't see have where much, you're coming from. Didn't have much storytelling momentum. And I think a lot of that is there's a lot of repeat beats. A yeah. beat being a story beat, where they like. This is what we'll do to convince them. Oh, it didn't work. This yeah. is what we'll do. We'll race his memory. Oh, it didn't work. Agreed. So it's just kind of like you just want him to get through whatever the, the decision is and then have the new problem. And it's the same problem. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give it a f- four and a half. Uh, I'm going to give it a five. Okay. Because I think that it is. It does suffer from being bored. You know what? Actually, I'm going to bump this up a little bit because okay, I think it's I think go. it's a very good science fiction. I agree with that, but I do think it's a little dull for my tastes. Right. So, but I'm because it's such good science fiction, I'm going to bump it up, Andy, to one 
Full six. It's getting a six. All right. You know, you convinced me enough to bump it up to a five. Yeah. So a six for me, a five from Andy. And uh, next week we have an episode that I uh, honestly am uh, not looking forward to rewatching. <laughs> oh. It's called The Bonding. Here we go. Here's the uh, trailer for The Bonding. Next time on Star Trek, the next generation. Dr. Crusher, incoming wounded. A young boy faces a tragic loss. Your mother has died. I'm all alone now, sir. But are the dead coming back to life? There's a presence on the Enterprise. Mom? Or is it an alien force at work? Come, Jeremy. Hey, wait, stop, no! On Star Trek, the next generation. Kid episode. It's an episode with a kid. It's an episode with kids and ghosts. <laughs> tell you, if the dead are coming back to life, the um, Mentakins are going to be, be thrilled. <laughs> uh, Andy. Matt. Uh, great episode. Good episode. Good job, buddy. We did it. We really did it. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you uh, again in Patagonia. Uh, in I'm flying m- back tomorrow. Oh, that's weird. How, when are we going to record? <laughs> I am uh, gonna just go ahead and beam myself the fuck out of here because I've had enough Star Trek for a day. I understand. You see, now when Matt beamed himself out, he kind of was moving around. You could see him anticipating the beam. And what he should have done was just let himself go slack and let the beam wash over him. That's what you want to do. Oh, disengage. Really thought you were going to say like this. <laughs> oh, by the way, <laughs> uh, look for Andy's uh, School of Specific Acting in North Hollywood. <laughs>